Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, Don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the next hour or so on the call. 10 stocks that You've suggested we take a look at, uh, we put them to an expert panel over the next 60 minutes to give you some guidance and uh, panel today. Really great to welcome back Gary Glover from Novus Capital. Gary, welcome back. Good to see you, sir. How's Thanks, the uh, coping with the uh, the lockdown in New South Wales? Yeah, I think I'll go pretty boring life anyway, so probably not too much difference. <laughs> exactly. At least you can still go for your run outside. Uh, exactly. Which is good. Uh, Howard Coleman from uh, Team Invest, always great to have you on board. Uh, um, and you've got uh, your two books behind you there, strategically placed. Excellent. And just remind us where we can buy those again. Um, probably the easiest way is either through our own website, which is uh, teaminvest.com.au, or alternatively through the bookstore, The Educated Investor, um, which will. Uh, which stocks both of them and which will organise delivery to your front door. Excellent. Yeah, and they're both terrific books. Read them myself. Uh, we'll give anyone a lot of guidance. All right. Before we get into where uh, the 10 stocks that you've uh, asked us to have a look at, I've been having a bit of fun last week and this week uh, posing a question to uh, each of our experts on the, uh, on the panel. If you could pick one stock that could potentially change your life, financially, what would it be? It's a bit different and comes with all the caveats that some of the suggestions are at the higher risk end of the scale. But, you know, a stock that over five or 10 years could really shoot the lights out. What would it be? And it's, uh, it's got everyone thinking. And uh, Gary Glover, what have, what have you chosen for a, a stock that could change your life? Yeah, I've actually tried to reverse engineer this, David. So because really, if you look at the numbers, only 20% of IPOs will gain 100% in the yep. first 12 months, and only 10% of new IPOs will, will, will go 10 times within 10 years. So wow. really, we're asking people to hang on to stocks for 10 years to get that 10 bagger. So not sure many of us, I mean, probably Howard might be the outlier here. He probably has had a few stocks for 10 years, but most of us don't hold stocks for that long. Um, and only in 10 years, only 51% will achieve a 100% gain. So some pretty interesting stats there, just to think about yeah. this concept alone there. 
if, if we go back and if we look at who's the greatest sort of stock pickers of all time there, so the gross stocks, probably um, William O'Neill, who wrote How to Make Money in Stocks, and I think John Boyk, who wrote Monster Stocks, they talk about this concept of picking these big winners there. And one of the big principles they look at is the can slim. Um, so people, that's the sort of the... So I've, I've sort of tried to work backwards here. I've looked at um, what sort of ingredients are, are present in, in the big winners historically and try to see if I could find one that had some of these or, or a few of these ingredients. So wow, I've I love the way with, you're thinking. Yep. So I've come so up with uh, Playside Studios, which is PLY is the code. I honestly don't know a heap about the stock. What I do know is that it develops video games in Australia, which meets one of our criteria is that to be a new product service or something like a new catalyst. So it's a new business there. Um, they also collaborate with Disney, Pixar, Warner Brothers, Nickelodeon. So they, they basically collaborate with the, with, the, with the big names sort of in, in that um, industry. So they've they're basically got leadership position in their sector. So um, if any of the sort of movie players want to sort of get a game produced, yeah. they, go to, they go to Playside Studios. Um, the other thing too we're looking for is one of, one of the S in Can Slim is supply and demand. And this is really in sort of interesting ingredient here is that we want to see not too much supply here. And the beauty with Playside is that 71% of the stock is held by insiders. So right. there's not much stock around to get here. So these are one of the ingredients that, that is, is sort of um, common in, in these 10 baggers is that right. there's usually not a lot of stock to get. So meets kind of three of our criteria. They were looking for like positive trend. We're looking for sort of earnings there. So look, the, the revenue line has grown 63% in the first year, but there's not too much uh, not too much earnings here yet because they've sort of spent money on the float. So 73 mil market cap, raised 15 in the float, only been going for sort of six months, so very early. But this is sort of one of those companies that we can get some earnings here in the next one or two years. This has got the potential to, to meet you know, tick a lot of the boxes that would normally come in these 10 bagger sort of stocks here. So risky, we've only got really maybe a 10% chance here of getting that um, 10 bagger. That's that's the odds. But yep. um, this kind of ticks about five of my sort of seven boxes that we normally want to tick. And it's got potential to maybe get the other two in the next one or two years if things right. go to plan. Oh, so well, that's, that's thank, yeah. thank you for doing all the work in that. That's... Um, Fascinating to explain the process going through it and taking some learnings from some of the great investors of what they've looked at and some of the history behind these life-changing stocks. Um, so that's a great one to have. Howard, what have you chosen? Yeah, um, similarly to Gary, I looked at um, the history and in Team Invest, we identify what we call wealth winners. Now, wealth yep. winners are companies that for uh, the reasons of their metrics and their past uh, results uh, over time, we very confident will roughly multiply the um, returns for you by at least six times over the 10 years. In other words, 20% per annum, which is six times over 10 years. Now, a few of those go even further and they become at least 10 times over 10 years. And that's what we describe as wealth winners. And the yeah. whole essence of Team Invest is picking wealth winners. So all our members spend most of their time, our software starts off by doing most of the hard grunt and getting rid of about 2,000 of the 2,200 companies on the ASX that won't be wealth winners or that are extremely unlikely to be wealth winners where your chances are 
so tiny that they could be wealth winners that you wouldn't want to worry about them. And then we look at the others. Now, I then looked backwards and said, within my own portfolio, which are the wealth winners that I've had based on that process? And we've been running Team Invest now for just under 14 years. It'll be 14 years in a couple of months' time. And in that 14 years, there are eight companies that I've owned for longer than 10 years. And in that 10 years, $100,000 would have turned into more than a million dollars. So if you'd put in $100,000, you would have made a profit. Sorry, you would have made more than a million dollars. So it would have yep. turned into 1.1 million, including dividends. Um, there are a couple of them that you would have made almost 2 million. And of those uh, eight companies in 14 years, in other words, we've identified about one every 15 or 16 months uh, over that time. There have been others that have made 600,000, but not a million. Um, the one that I would pick is CSL. And CSL has turned, in my own portfolio, uh, every $100,000 into more than $1 million in that period of time, and obviously for many of our other members. And if you look at it going forward, the best predictor of future performance is past performance. We know that in sport, we know that in life. Uh, students who do very well in exams all the way through primary school and high school are the most likely to do well in exams at university. Um, sports teams like the All Blacks, unfortunately, that do best in rugby, um, <laughs> tend to continue doing best in rugby. Australians tend to do very well in swimming. At the Olympics, we expect them to continue doing well in swimming and so on. And the top AFL teams, despite the draft and the salary cap, um, if they've been doing really well, they tend to have uh, uh, good results through a longer time and the ones who do badly do badly. And that's despite the draft and salary cap. So looking at that, CSL's got a lot of things going for it. Out of every litre of blood plasma that they collect, they're able to make more and more high-value products each year than, or each few years than they could make a few years before. On top of that, the population in the developed world is ageing, which means there's more and more need for all the products that CSL um, produces. So they've got a combination of two things going for them more requirement for their products, in other words, greater demand, yep. and more products that they can get out of each litre of blood that they acquire or purchase. So the same as it's been a wealth winner in the past um, more than a decade, and I've owned it for more than a decade, um, I can expect it will be a wealth winner in the next decade. And um, so my pick would most definitely okay. be CSL. But if you want to continue this for a number of periods, uh, it, David, I've got seven others that I've identified so that we could have over a period of time. Oh, perfect. All right, we might come back to you on that and pick it out. But that, that's great too. Really good suggestions there and appreciate you both putting the work into it. All right, let's uh, get into the stocks that uh, our viewers want us to take a look at. And the first one, Gary, is uh, Wise Tech Global, the uh, big software solutions um uh, company for international and domestic logistics um, organizations. Over 17,000 customers using their software across 150 countries. Uh, Morgan Stanley um, put out a note just in the last month or so with a, a $35 price target on the company's shares. And uh, 
saying it's com- one of its big Canadian competitors was uh, tending to shoot the lights out financially and they expect that to go through to WiseTech. Um, what do you think of WiseTech? Yeah, I think most of the brokers are sort of uh, like they're the outlier there, Morgan Stanley at 35. Most of them are sort of between sort of 30 and 33. Yep. So with kind of where it's been trading here the last couple of weeks is between that sort of 30 and 33 level. So um, look, I, I think the reason why, you know, Morgan Stanley is the outlier there is it is on about 105 times earnings. So I think it's on right. about uh, 80 times um, next year's earnings. Um, look, the, the good news is the earnings number is... is is sort of um, you know is meant to grow here, so I think consensus has got a pretty strong uh, growth forecast there. Just the, the issue we've got here is we've got a ten close to ten billion dollar market cap. The the last numbers were a little bit underwhelming; they were probably slightly down yeah. on expectations. So, in an industry there which should be sort of shooting the lights out at the moment, the numbers were just a little bit under. So. When you're on a massive PE like an 80 or 100 PE, you really can't be under. So um, yeah, I just think there's a little bit of risk here up at this price here. So I know there's some growth in the stock, but we're well and truly pricing in a lot of that growth here at the moment. We're not sure. We're priced in so well where we can't really be missing here. So just I just think there's a little bit of uh, you know too much risk here at this PE. Sure. Okay. Um, Howard, what do you think of WiseTech? Of course, it's been uh the target of short sellers at some stage and people having governance issues with it? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things that we don't particularly like about it. Uh, its return on equity is quite low. I mean, its return on equity the last two years is 7.1% and 5.5%. Now, that's not the portent of a potential wealth winner. That suggests it's not going to be one. Um, because in the end, you can't in the very long term, in the short term, you can Um, grow faster than your um, return on equity, but in the long term, you can't. Um, The second thing is, as Gary points out, it's on a very high PE. We always look at trailing PE rather than future PE rather than uh, coming year's earnings, because coming year earnings is a bit of a guess. So we rather base it on an exact number. And on that basis, it's on a PE of about 130, 138, in fact. And it's got a growth rate in EPS of about 30%. Now, to justify 138 PE, trailing PE, you'd probably need a growth rate of 100%. You'd need to double every year in the long term. In the short term, you can get away with something different. Now, for this company to double its earnings every year, it would have to be 1,064 times the size that it is today. Now, is the logistics software market large enough for one company to be a thousand times the size it is today. And I can't see how. So whenever you get a company on a PE of more than 100, you've got to say to yourself, um, to justify that PE, um, you probably need to almost double in size every year. Now you can maybe make an argument, say 80% a year, but roughly those kind of figures. And doubling in size every year for 10 years would mean you'd have to be 1,064 times the size. Is that industry capable of being 1,064 times the size for one company? And uh, my answer on this would be no. So based on similar reasons to what Gary said from that point of view, it's P is too rich 
And now um, uh, it, it wouldn't be a company we in Team Invest would be enthused about because its return on equity is too low. Okay. All right. Um, Howard, Ben wants a view on Infomedia. Again, uh, another uh, technology business, software business, but providing data and um, cataloging parts for the automotive industry. It sort of Was this, this the owner of um, the old Red Book? wasn't it, that used to value yeah, all the so. cars and the dealers would have, and yeah. then it went online, and it's it's basically data for the automotive industry. Yeah, and it's in fact got a really good niche. Uh, its return on equity has been pretty good. Dropped in the last year, my guess is it made an acquisition because the return on equity dropped um, without the earnings per share dropping, so the equity must have gone up a fair bit. Earnings per share has been growing at about 7% a year, which is quite decent for an industry that's a mature industry. So that's a good sign. And because the um, share price has been largely, as we can see from that graph, drifting downwards, it's on a PE of about 28. Now, that's not all that bad um, in these times of low interest rates. It's certainly not cheap, but it's not all that bad being on a PE of 28. Although I do notice that in the last four years, you could have bought it at PEs of about 18, 19, 21, and 24 in each of the last four years. So it's still a little bit on the expensive side, but nowhere near as expensive as it was when it was in the $39 range um, not that long ago. So, um, you know, uh, from our point of view, it's got high return on equity, it's got low debt, its earnings are growing. That's all quite positive. Just the share price a little bit high. And if the share price came down, perhaps another or 10-odd percent, um, I think you'd find some Team Invest members getting reasonably enthused about it. Mm, okay. Uh, Gary, what do you think of Infomedia? That's a, a fascinating five-year chart that we just had up to. It's sort of getting to those three, bouncing along those three-year lows. Mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting there because it's, um, I mean, at the moment there's... Um, Six sort of strong buys here from most from the from the broking uh, most of the broking houses there, and they're sort of uh, sitting between sort of 180 and up to 220, so quite a lot higher. Yeah. Um, there's a few other sort of moderate buys as well. No no sales at all in the stock. Um, it's in a really good sector. Obviously, that sort of automotive has really been um, shooting the lights out here. But the I think the last sort of um, update was a little bit um, didn't quite hit the mark there. I think, and it's. Um, but the share price is going down here. So it does, it does concern me a little bit that um, everyone's going to buy on the stock, yet the share price is going lower. So that, that tells us uh, um, that maybe something out there that we're not knowing. Maybe Howard's right here. Maybe it's just sort of betting down this acquisition there puts a little bit of pressure on the short term on the price. But it is sort of trending down at the moment, and that's probably the only thing that um, is negative. But everything on paper, it looks looks pretty, pretty decent here. Um, yep. Just don't like the fact that it's trending down currently. That's the uh, that's that's the thing okay. I don't like it here, but uh, yeah. So well, I think a, no, I, I, a no for now, but keep an eye on it. Yeah, I mean, look, it, the, the, the company has sort of suggested that COVID is having a negative effect there, but it's it's an online business. So a, a lot of these on, online businesses are thriving in these COVID times. So why isn't Infomedia thriving? Yeah. So that's that's the question I got. I mean, every, every broker's got to buy on it. Why isn't it going up here? So something's not quite right here. So. Right. It's a, it's a wait and see for me. Okay. All right. 
Um, our next stock that uh, viewers want us to take a look at, Gary, is uh, is Flight Centre, the the big travel group, and everyone keeps trying to figure out the timing of when to get in <laughs> into these travel stocks, don't they, for the opening up of the economy? And every every time everyone gets excited, we go into another major lockdown that seems to be pushed out a bit further. Uh, what do you think of Flight Centre? Yeah, look, I, I do like uh, Flight Centre here, but um, but it's a soft a soft buy here rather than rather than rather than um, anything too too aggressive there. Just got to remember there that um, they raised seven hundred million um, at seven twenty, so that was an extra seventy eight million shares on issue now. So um, so one hundred ninety nine million shares on issue now. So it's that's quite a large portion. Um, so the market cap. Is obviously like it's, it, people will say, oh, we'd be thinking, oh, I've got to go back to you know, twenty, forty dollars there. That's just not going to be the case because there's a ton more shares on issue. So, um, so I can see here in the broking community, I think we've got like there's four, four strong buys. There's two strong sells. There's nine holds here. So there's a really uh, you know mixed views amongst um, um, the market there with this stock. So. Got some headwinds there. I just think I think it will go slightly higher here, um, just on the basis of that reopening trade. But the it's not going to shoot the lights out here because of that raising there. And then there's so many more shares on issue now. So yeah. just got to be tempered in your upside. The the upside is going to be limited here. That's all. So not not a sexy sort of uh, positioning here. I just think it's um yeah you know, the sentiment a reopening trade will probably push it higher, but just won't go up won't go that high maybe it goes back to you know 18 20 bucks or something like that but um i, I just can't see it really shooting the lights out here okay all right howard what do you think of flight center it's been sort of an old favorite of team invest over the years has that it has and it's a company we know really well i mean its share price got to around about 50 odd dollars yep. but there's now as gary points out a lot more shares so on an equivalent basis it would only get to about 30 dollars uh, even if it got the same way up. Now, um, the thing to look at here is twofold. It's number one, the one thing the market focuses on because it's the simple thing to talk about and anybody can talk about it, and that's without necessarily knowing the answers. And that's when when will flights open up all around the world? Now, in some parts of the world, they've opened up a fair bit like the US, where flight centre is, but not here. Um, but the other thing to look at is what's happened to its competitors. Now, even if flight center um, lands up having to wait a long time to when it opens, a lot of its weaker competitors, those that weren't public companies and couldn't raise extra capital, and by the way, a smart time to buy it was when it raised extra capital, and I think I did, and I'm pretty sure most Team Invest members did at $7.20. That was clearly a bargain. Um, A lot of their competitors won't exist. So even if total travel worldwide shrinks by, say, 20%, and we only have 80% of all the travel that we had pre-COVID when COVID is finally gone, uh, whatever gone means, uh, in other words, no longer being worried about, um, if there's 40% less capacity in travel agencies because so many of them have gone broke, then companies like Flight Center will pick up and all the others that remain, the survivors will pick up the business from those that no longer exist. Now, a perfect example is in my local shopping center. There used to be five travel agencies. There's now three. 
So um, 40 percent of the capacity has disappeared. So when it does reopen, that's going to be phenomenal for those who are still around like Flight Center. They will get an enormous amount of extra business that they didn't get before, because although total travel may shrink as people use Zoom more and Skype and so on, um, on the other hand, the, the amount of capacity in the industry has shrunk more uh, than that's likely to be. So when it will be, don't know. But when it does happen that most of the world is vaccinated and we open up uh, post-COVID, Flight Centre is going to be a huge beneficiary, not because of the total amount of travel, but because of the total amount of travel that Flight Centre picks up because it's got fewer competitors. So um, at, at present prices, I wouldn't get hugely excited about it. But if COVID in New South Wales spreads to a couple of other states and the share price comes down some more, I'd get very excited about it. So a, a weak yes from me. OK, all right. Two, two weak yeses, um, which is probably enough to get in, in, in the calls portfolio. All right, let's um, um, go on to our next stock. Uh, Howard, our viewers want a, a view on Aluka Resources, um, which is uh, a big mineral sands exploration and, and mining and processing and marketing company. Interestingly, they take iron ore royalties out of one of BHP's um, mining area C um, in, uh, in Western Australia, but Aluka operations in Australia, Sierra Leone and the United States. Yeah, and um, at the moment, mineral sands, um, which is part of what they do, um, are needed for a lot of things. So there's a lot more need for the kind of uh, materials that they produce than there used to be. But like all commodity producers, they suffer from the problem of very little stability in earnings growth. So the stability of earnings growth ratio is only about 46%. Now, we need a, an absolute minimum of 65 before we even vaguely look at a company and team invest. And we prefer companies that it's at least 85%. So the stability of earnings growth is, is really too low to pass our filters. Um, and that's often the case with commodity producers. Its return on equity is fine. It's got low debt. Its earnings have been growing the last few years, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll continue growing. The pro problem with all commodity producers is the moment uh, the price of their commodities go up, they do really well. But because the price of the commodity goes up, lots of other explorers um, find other sources of the same commodity, those mines then open up and the price comes tumbling down. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, its numbers look okay. Um, it's on a PE of 24, which is fairly high for a uh, commodity producer. Uh, on that basis, we wouldn't get excited about it. And of course, the area Leone introduces sovereign risk um, in its business as well. So doesn't look bad on the numbers. Uh, other than the low stability of earnings growth, but a no from me. Okay, Gary, on a look. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think um, Howard's sort of bang on there. Really, I mean, you see that chart there. Actually, that matches the um, the earnings profile in that you know we're up one year, down the next year, up the following year, down the next year. So its earnings aren't haven't really been, um, you know, they've, they've been quite erratic there, and they just sort of year by year they 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 change quite dramatically. Um, most of brokers have sort of got a valuation here between 810 and 870, and we're above that at the moment. So, um, so not too much upside there. Um, 
it has moved up around 10% here just on the back of Rio after they closed down their South African mineral sands operations. So one of the, one of the you know, bigger players out there has sort of um, stood back there. I think there's there some, some security issues over there. Um, so that's been a plus for Aluka, but I think we've already, we've already seen that appreciation now in the price here. So um, as Howard said, the P is getting pretty, pretty high. So um, you're yeah, a bit risky here at the moment. So um, okay. yeah, it looks like it, all the good news is priced in. All right. Okay, our fifth stock uh, before we recap is uh, Gary Fortescue, the uh, pure iron ore play, um, biggest shareholder, of course, is Andrew, Andrew Forrest and uh, his family um, been shooting the lights out on the back of uh, that enormous iron ore price at the moment, still over $200 a tonne. And everyone is, the big discussion is, can it ever stay there? How long will it stay there for? What will it drop to? Um, but it's it's um, basically a yield play at the moment too, isn't it? As dividend yield is enormous. Yeah, look, if we, if we put all the fundamentals aside and just look at the technical picture there, it's actually broken um, the, the previous sort of swing high here in the last couple of days. So that's right. kind of positive. So that, that normally means when you, when you see that type of break um, on the chart, normally means you're going to go back and retest the high. So it looks like it wants to go to a new high to me. The, the risk is here. I mean, I, I see that like the, we look through the broker valves there. We've sort of got, I think, five strong buys, eight holds and six strong sells. So there's a real mix wow. in the views there. And that's, that's all around the price of the, um, your view on iron ore, the iron ore price. So um, all, all analysts have actually got lower numbers for next year because I think most of them don't think that the iron ore price can stay this strong for you know for that long so that's that's the risk here in the in the yeah. in the longer and I, term and I, I bet those forecasts were the same this time last year <laughs> but they yeah, were saying, probably. Yeah. no we're uh, ore price can't stay that that high for another year and it did we might have had more of skew you might have had more a few more sort of stronger buys and less sells there right but now we've really appreciated there's there's some really strong sells there which you don't often see in the broken community, so, yep. but it, it's, it's a hard one. There. It's really around your view of the um, iron ore price. I, I think there's some risk here that the, pro, the iron ore price won't stay this high for the, for, for the long term, but in the short term, some momentum here, the inflation trade is causing all these commodities to spike up here. I saw um, Select Harvest was sort of one that I sort of I liked recently there, which is in, you know, in the nuts, and obviously the price of nuts has gone up quite a lot, and then the share price is up 15% here today. So that type shit, that tells you the environment we're in, yep. where the commodity prices are going, you know, shooting high here. Um, so for me, I think it goes higher, but it's definitely got some risk here once it goes to a new high. It's, you know, it's, it's not going to, I don't think the iron ore price can stay this, um, this right. high for the long term. Okay. Um... Howard, what's your view on Fortescue? And I, I suppose, um, is the market valuing Fortescue at the moment at $200 a tonne, or is it valuing Fortescue on $130 a tonne that they think it will get down to? Well, markets quite often value things based on has the share price been rising, where, in which yep. case we all have to pile in and get excited about it for fear of missing out. Um, and that could be part of the problem here. Um, uh, I, I, look, nobody can predict exactly when the iron ore price will change, but no commodity in history has ever remained 
dramatically higher than the marginal cost of production. And the marginal cost of production is well under $100 a ton. In fact, it's probably somewhere around about $50 a ton is the marginal cost of production. So at the moment, the Chinese are doing everything they can to uh, rush the production from West Africa. They're also looking at iron ore deposits and developing them in Mongolia and in Kazakhstan. And all of these, with time, will come on board and will reduce, or, or sorry, will increase the supply. Mm. At the same time, um, China being at the stage of development that it is, doesn't have a lot of secondary metal, not a lot of metal um, that they can melt down and reuse as steel, whereas, for instance, the United States and Europe and Australia do. So as China's uh, development continues, there's more and more of that coming on stream, and already the amounts, the number of tons coming on stream in the secondary market is greater than it was a year or two ago. So long term, the iron ore price is definitely not going to stay where it is. But at the moment, you're getting a marvellous dividend yield on Fortescue. Um, and it could well be that the iron ore price could stay this high for perhaps, who knows, another year or so. But um, if you're looking five years ahead, uh, the same has happened when the iron ore price got right up in the stratosphere some years ago and everybody talked about it would stay there forever. Of course, it didn't and it came tumbling down and the same thing will happen here. So does one buy into Fortescue now? From a team invest perspective, most people say no. But much as Gary was pointing out to the brokers, even among our team invest members, there's some people who are saying, well, I don't mind holding it for five years because in the five years I'm going to get so much in dividends that even if the share price drops quite dramatically because the iron ore price drops, I won't do all that badly. After all, it's on a relatively low PE. And that's true. But those of our members who think 10 years out are not so enthusiastic. The ones who think three, four, five years out, they're more enthusiastic. So a no from me, but I wouldn't have a big argument with, because uh, I tend to look 10 years out, I wouldn't have a big argument with somebody who said, I'm only looking three years out or five years out. And on that basis, the it, it's not a bad investment. Okay. All right. A really uh, good analysis there from both uh, Gary and Howard. All right, let's recap our first uh, five stocks on the call today. Um, stocks that could change your life. Playside Studios from Gary, CSL from Howard. Uh, WiseTech Global, a no from both. Um, InfoMedia, a no, but it's on a low PE. Financials look quite good. If it dropped, share price dropped, say, 10%, um, Howard would be, uh, would be interested. Um, a weak buy from both from uh, for Flight Centre, um, a Lucra no and Fortescue a no. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio um, since July 1 last year, thanks to our partner NabTrade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up, even if it's a weak thumbs up like Flight Centre, uh, it goes into the calls portfolio. If that particular stock comes up again, even if it's in front of uh, another panel and doesn't get unanimous approval, then it goes out. Let's see how it's been performing. Uh, in the last week, up just over half a percent, half a percent for the month, and since the 1st of July last year, up 36%. Some of the stocks recently added to the portfolio, Micro X, uh, Australian Pharmaceutical Industries, which is very topical, and we'll get to that with our next stock as well. 
Um, Eclipse Group, Link Administration and Life360, some of the stocks that have been removed out of the portfolio. Uh, McMahon Industries, uh, Bigger Cheese and Universal Stores. You can check all the stocks in the calls portfolio. Go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And uh, be sure to stick around after the call. We'll be catching up with um, the founder and chief executive of Plenty, uh, Daniel Fogo, off the back of the company's quarterly report. Uh, he is coming up just after 1 p.m., so in about half an hour's time. And don't forget, if you want any stocks that you want uh, analysed by our um, expert panels each day, uh, just stick them in an email to us, the call at osbiz.com.au. That's the call at osbiz.com.au. And uh, we will put them in the list. We, we've worked through an enormous backlog of stocks that people have wanted analysed and got into trouble from some people because they said, you're taking so long for the opinion. Well, we've got rid of a lot of that backlog, so we'll get to any suggestions pretty quickly. All right, let's um, look at our sixth stock. Uh, on today. And as I said, Australian Pharmaceuticals has just been added to our, uh, was added to our portfolio a week ago. And in the last day or so, it received a takeover offer from Wes Farmers, which our viewers want a opinion on. Wes Farmers, of course, owns Bunnings, uh, Officeworks. It's been described to me as if you like a listed private equity group. It goes in, buys undervalued uh, companies and great brand names and turns them around as they've done with Officeworks and Bunnings. Looks as though they want to do it with Australian Pharmaceuticals, which owns uh, the Priceline stores um, and also some other skincare clinics as well. Uh, Gary, what do you think of Wes Farmers? Oh, I think it's a smart move there with the um, API uh, purchase there. So um, we, we've got to go back a few years now because I think it was... Um, Woolies of West Farmers there, they tried to get into pharmacy um, um, oh, going back quite a few years back and got knocked back um, by the ACCC going, you know, I'm not sure how many years ago now, but um, yeah, but I think it's a, I think it's a smart move there. That sort of price line, um, clear skincare sort of clinics there. So yeah, I think it's a good little acquisition. It's only sort of small for them, but I definitely think it's a step in the right direction there. Um, and um yeah, the only problem you've got with West Farmers here is you're, you are trading on a pretty decent multiple. So I think uh, trading on about 28 times, which is historically pretty expensive for, for West Farmers if you look at um, where it has traded historically. But we, we are in, um, as sort of Howard earlier sort of um, spoke about Light Centre, how we've sort of lost competitors for them. West Farmers and Woolies there, they, you know, they're really benefiting from COVID, obviously, as some of the smaller players all fall away. Uh, the, the bigger players are really getting a stronger foothold on in their in their domains there. So, so I think sort of uh, West Farmers and Woolies will you know will, will will report really strong numbers here for the next sort of year or two, but they're just not not sort of cheap here. So um, yeah, so it's a bit of a hold for me. I, I can't get um, excited by it, but I probably wouldn't be a seller either. Right. Okay. Howard, what do you think of West Farmers? Yeah, I mean, it's um, a very well-run company, as we know. It buys, as you described, David, buys businesses, builds them up, sells them. Probably its only blot on its uh, major blot was the amount of capital they tied up in buying coals, that they never really got a particularly good return, and that reduced their return on equity from being in the 20s 
to be into less than 10. It's back up again into the 20s now that they've demerged coals. Um, the API move is probably a smart move um, for them, but it's not going to move the dial much. It's a small part of their business. Um, but as Gary pointed out as well, its PE ratio is high. It's on a PE ratio now uh, and in the last few months, uh, higher than it's been at any time in 10 years. Wow. Now, if the growth rate was rising a lot, that would make sense. But its growth rate's low, a bit better than inflation. So you won't lose money by being an investor in it. But it's hard to see that this is going to be a wealth winner when it's got a growth rate of under 4% in growth in EPS. And um, it's on a PE of about 25. And if you look through history, you've been able to buy it at a PE of under 20 every single solitary year for about half of the year every year for 10 years. Okay. So if you just, including last year and the year before, so if you're just a little bit patient, you'll probably be able to buy this at uh, 10, 15%, probably more like 15% lower price than it is today. Um, so good business, um, share price too high. So I like the business, um, but wouldn't be buying it at anything that started with a five. Okay, all right. Um, our next uh, stock, Trudy, wants a view, Howard, on Bell Financial Group, the, uh, uh, the big stockbroking and, and listed financial organisation that because of the, the boom in the share market has, has really benefited from that. What do you think of Bell? Yeah, um, you know, uh, being a financial services business like it is, you'd expect really high return on equity. Its return on equity has been rising over the last four years, but prior to that was less than 10%, which is very uh, disappointing for a company in the field that it's in. So it's now about 20%, which is at least reasonably decent. Earnings per share growing quite well at 19% a year over the last um, five years. And it's got no debt, as one would expect in financial services. There's no reason why they need to have debt unless they're a bank. So all of that looks pretty good. It's on a PE, um, oops, I'll just get my graph to move there. It's on a PE that's pretty low at 11.4. So all of that looks um, pretty positive um, with a relatively low PE. So it does pass all our filters on a relatively low PE. Return on equity, not quite as high as you'd expect in an industry like this, but high nonetheless. So um, I would say a yes from me, but I'm not jumping up and down with it that it's going to turn into a great wealth winner, but it's definitely a yes at these prices. Okay. Gary? Yeah, I do struggle with these businesses there. I mean, they can be quite lumpy as well. So um, they often follow the market cycles. So I mean, the one thing we've seen in the last 18 months is we've seen um, like a huge amount of capital raisings as well. So the amount of companies that have had to go to uh, market, raise money during COVID, and then with the bull market, the number of new companies coming to market have you know, been been really buoyant. So for the for the corporate transactions have been huge here for the last um, 18 months. So this has been one of the most prosperous periods in the market for quite some mm -hmm. time. So that that's not going to continue. Um, and you'll go through your cycles of sort of going up and down here. So these are sort of businesses where you're sort of going to try and buy these businesses when they're um, in the you know in a negative cycle, not in a positive cycle. So yep. um, yeah, I, I just think that um, I've had you know a really good. As I how was sort of right there, the earnings numbers are have been positive here um, in the last few years, and I think that's just because the market has been really really buoyant. So 
Uh, I can see we're going to, you know, we'll go through some cycles here in the next sort of 12, 18 months there, which mightn't be as rosy. And I think you'll see the share price contract even further. So not not for me. Um, you've got to buy these businesses at the right time. This is not the right time for me. Sure. Okay. All right. Is it the uh, Gary the right time to buy Sezzle? The uh, buy now, pay later uh, listing here in Australia, even though it's listed in Australia, it's based in the United States. Uh, it's all operations uh, all in the United States and uh, Canada and uh, getting involved in India and Europe as well. Um, Sezzle is sort of that that second tier or seen as a second tier buy now, pay later stock, is it? Yep, second tier. Um, obviously, a bit, bit of a focus in the US, so that's probably yeah. the, maybe the point of difference there. I see they've done a deal with Target, uh, Bristol Sports, sorry, Bar- Barstool Sports. So trying to do a bit more US sort of um, sort of stuff there, which is sort of positive for them. The, the biggest issue here is the market cap. We're talking like it's 900 mil, so probably... Yeah, we're just under a billion dollar market cap here for a business there, which, um, as Howard will point out, has made no money. Um, the earnings are, you know, are minuscule and uh, the margins there. I mean, the thing about these buy now, um, pay, pay later businesses, they, they always talk um, always talk about numbers on the transactional value, um, yeah. which is not really what they, they don't make money on. They don't, that transactional value is not really there. You know, they, they, only, make, they only make a very small part of that. And then again, the margin on that very small part is a lot smaller. So be like sort of real estate, be like REA sort of quoting the value of the, the, the house price sale rather than actually the advertising component they, they right. get. This, this industry sort of talks about the transaction value that goes through the business where really they're only making a small part of that you know, comes back to them. And then again, the, you know, the margin on top of that is smaller again. So yeah. I just, uh, yeah, this, you know, I, I just can't, um, you know, in a market which I, I, I think there's some sort of um, tougher times ahead. So I just think these sort of market, these sort of stocks are really overvalued here. They're priced for a lot of growth, and yep. um, I can see the growth coming through. I just, just don't see the margins or the earnings to, to match the market caps. Okay, Howard, uh, is yeah, says a little bit of interest. I don't think. Would it pass one filter? I'm not sure it would no. in a team investor. Um, the simple answer is no. Um, imagine uh, the three of us sitting down over a beer one day after an AFL game and coming up with a, a business that never makes any profits, is designed in a way in which it couldn't in the future ever make any profits, and managing to persuade people that it's worth $900 million in market cap. And we could all get rich doing that. And isn't the world uh, uh, temporarily in a very funny place now? It reminds me of 1999, 2000, um, uh, uh, again, where you can, or the, uh, you know, if you go back long enough in history, the South Sea bubble or the tulip bubble, where you can have something that makes no money and people will pay vast amounts for it. Now, not only, as Gary pointed out, does it count its total transaction volume, which is not the amount of money it gets, um, and it only makes a tiny part of that, but the tiny part it makes isn't enough to cover its overheads. So it's lost 50% or more of its equity each year for the last two years. Um, so it's running at a massive loss on all the transactions that it's doing. This is not a business, but if you think of, you know, when, when I used to um, uh, teach people marketing and so on, among the other things uh, that we used to joke about, 
is you should sell the sizzle, not the steak. And if I'd mispronounced it and said, you could sell the sizzle, not the steak, this is obviously <laughs> what they've been doing. They've been selling the sizzle. And they've managed to sell it so well that it's got a market cap of $900 billion, million. Well done to them. Yeah. Uh, this is a great, great marketing uh, operation. But I failed to see how this business or any of the buy now, pay later businesses in the way they're currently structured are going to ever make a profit. And on that basis, no, it, it wouldn't pass anybody's first glance at Team Invest. And it most definitely okay. doesn't pass a single one of our filters. All right. Okay. That was pretty definite from uh, both Gary and Howard. Now, Howard, Jeff wants a view next on Image Resources. They're uh, back to a mineral sands um, company, uh, open cut mine, all producing processing facility um, uh, owner uh, just north of, uh, of Perth. Yes. And in fact, the last three years they've been making a profit. Prior to that, they didn't. And again, it's that mineral. Sands at the moment um, are, in fact, quite uh, nicely priced from the point of view of the producers. Um, it, 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 and it's on a low PE, so people obviously are uh, happy to buy it on the basis of, I know the commodity price won't stay high for that long, um, the commodities that they produce. So it looks reasonable at the moment in that it's got good return on equity, its earnings are growing, it's got no debt, and it's on a low PE. But it's very thinly traded, as you can see from that graph. Yes. It's a small market cap, and um, it's dependent on a, the price of the commodity, which can change overnight. So uh, despite the fact that at first glance, its metrics look good, it's a no from me. It actually wouldn't pass our filters because it's only made a profit for three years, and we need a minimum of four. But um, uh, even assuming it passes in a few months' time with a fourth year when it reports again, it's, it would be a no from us and right. Team Invest. Uh, Gary? Yeah, interesting little company there. Only 187 mil market cap. Um, but um, yeah, as Howard sort of pointed out there, it's had three good years in a row there. So some pretty good numbers there. So looks to be pretty well managed there. Uh, no debt, I think about 51 million in cash as well, which is which is pretty, pretty decent. Um, it's all sort of high grade um, zircon and titanium, I think. They're, I think, I think Zircon's about 80% of their um, their business, and they make up, I think it's about 6% of the global production there. So that's, there's a few pluses within this business here. I think the fact that um, that Rio sort of shut down that sort of mineral sands business over um, in South Africa is probably a plus as well. So that, that probably helps the, uh, you know, lessen the supply issue, increase demand a little bit more. So not not the worst business I've seen here for a sort of, what might be sort of like a small to mid cap there. I, I think this is pretty well managed business. I, I don't love this business, but I think on paper it looks pretty good here. And I think the sector's pretty decent. And um, yeah, I actually don't mind. Actually, I think it's actually not a bad little business. Okay, all right, put that down as a buy. And our final stock, Gary, is REA, um, uh, the the big property real estate. Um, online website, marketing, advertising uh, group, recently um, bought into uh, Mortgage Choice, bought that out as its financial arm, its uh, financing arm attached to it, which seems to be a natural progression. Um, what do you think of REO? Yeah, look, I think it's a great business, obviously leader um, in the sector. So, you know, if you're going to be long within this um, sector, this is the only one to be, to be trading there. Just 
just a little pricey here at the moment. I think, what are we, 64 times earnings? Um, I think we're going to be about 49 times next year's earnings as well, so um, consensus. So, look, business is still growing quite nicely, just just pretty decent multiples. Definitely one of those businesses there. Um, probably wait for a rainy day, wait wait for a market correction in the market, and then this is definitely one of the stocks you want to buy when, um, when there's right. a bit of blood in the water. So, okay. um, just, just pretty pricey here, but... Great business. Just going to buy it when it's um, on sale. Yep. Um, Howard? Yeah, pretty much as Gary says. And in fact, the right time to buy it was last year when everybody was worried about blood in the streets from COVID and that we were all either going to die or the entire economy was going to be wrecked. And as we said at the time on on the show, um, recessions never last as long as they thought to be going to last and nor do booms. So when when things are booming, everybody believes they're going to boom forever. And when there's a recession, they think it's going to be like the Great Depression. But in the last 150 years, the only recession that lasted a long time was the Great Depression. All the others have been pretty short. Uh, you know, a couple of quarters at yeah. worst and often less than that. Um, and not, not even therefore technically a recession. So that was the time to buy it. It's now on a P on the way we measure P of about 75 which with a growth rate of 8% per annum in EPS growth is uh, too high. Um, it's got good return on equity, no debt, growing earnings, but just too pricey. So, uh, you know, you could have bought it last year for a, a hell of a lot less than it is now. And that was the time to buy it. But at $164 or 75 uh, far too pricey. So great business, too expensive. Yeah, yeah last year, bought it at 40 and now 160 as you both say, that was the time to buy it. <laughs> Let's uh, just recap our final five stocks. Uh, Wes Farmers, a hold from Gary, a no from uh, Howard. Uh, Bill Financial, a yes from Howard, no from Gary. Sizzle, a no from both uh, Image Resources. Um, a no from Howard, a yes from Gary. And REA, a no from both. So Flight Centre goes into uh, the calls portfolio from today's panel. Um, Gary Glover from Novus Capital, always great to have you on board. Likewise, Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Thank you, gents. Enjoy the rest of the week. Pleasure, guys. All right, that's Thank our God. show for today. If there are any stocks that you'd like us to cover, as I said, we've got rid of a big backlog over the last couple of weeks, uh, so we can get around to them quick, pretty quickly. Stick them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at AusBizTV handle. Uh, all the stocks in the calls portfolio, uh, you can find them at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And don't forget, if you want a full wrap up of the day in what's happening on the markets and business and finance, what's happening in the startup community, subscribe to the newsletter. You get uh, Scuddy's view, you get a link to the Close of Business podcast, you get links to the most popular videos and interviews on the platform during the day, subscribe osbiz.co forward slash the COB. And uh, coming up next on Osbiz, we're joined by uh, Luke Aretiv uh, from Seneca Financial Solutions. He's going to take us through his stock picks that uh, could be the target of some mergers and acquisition activity that's coming up very shortly. So, uh, Got a full agenda on Ausbiz for the rest of the afternoon. You don't want to miss it. We'll be back after the break.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.